It is good to be with you and have the chance to worship with you this morning. I appreciate your hospitality. And this morning I'm going to be reflecting on the second line of the Lord's Prayer. Your whole worship service is organized around prayers, prayers of apprenticeship, prayers for provision, prayers of commitment, the prayers of the people. And a moment ago, we prayed through the Lord's Prayer together. I want to consider what it means for us to ask that God would bring His kingdom. What does it mean to submit ourselves to the request that His will would be done on earth as it is in heaven? I'd say at first, there's a lot of reflection currently on our need to be mindful and to be centered. That's fashionable language in our day. But long before it was fashionable, Jesus wanted to center all of our intention, all of our requests, all of our desires on the will of God Himself, His sovereign and joyful and redeeming bringing of a kingdom that's full and good, His larger vision for creation, a creation that has gone off the rails, so to speak, that desperately needs redemption and recreation accomplished in all of our smaller daily circumstances, resting on His finished work in the cross and resurrection. That has bearing on our relationships. That has bearing on your decisions. It takes place, it takes effect, it takes root in your daily life, in your vocation, when you go to work and as you raise your children, as you make dinner and do dishes as small as those things may seem. If we have any young worshipers with us who have not gone to the children's church, I'm going to ask you to sit up straight and take a deep breath. I have a couple of questions for you if I can see your eyes. And I appreciate that when I say that, everyone in the room sits up straight and I get to see their eyes. It lets me know that you're at least listening again, briefly. I want you to take a deep breath, and I want us to consider God's kingdom together. I have several questions for you to think about. I'll sort of put them in context, and then I'll give you things to think about, things to answer, maybe something to draw, if you like to draw, if you like to fidget and sketch things out during the sermon, this might be a helpful way to give that direction. A lot of times I talk about uh, God's kingdom with younger worshipers in terms of my favorite, one of my favorite movies, Robin Hood, the older animated Disney version where Robin Hood's played by a cartoon fox. Kingdoms are only as good as their king, and the kingdom in Robin Hood is broken. It's sad. It doesn't work correctly because there is a fake king. They're waiting for the real king, King Richard, to return and make things right, to make them fully good again and redeem them. This morning, I want us to focus on what God is doing with us while we wait for him to return and set all things right, I'm not advocating that you take up Robin Hood's course and rob from the rich and give to the poor. But while we wait for his kingdom to come in all of its fullness and goodness, here are my questions for you. If you like to write down questions, if you like to take down notes, or if you want a direction to run with your sketches and doodles, here's what I would ask you. While we wait for God to bring his kingdom in all of its fullness, what is Jesus doing to us? What is our Heavenly Father doing to change us and make us more like Jesus the Son while we pray for His kingdom to come? 
When you pray for the things that you need and the things that you ask God to do, young worshipers, what is God doing by the work of His Holy Spirit to change you? Does He change the way that you relate to your siblings or your parents, your friends, your teachers, your neighbors? I want you to think about the ways that He is changing you, the ways that He is giving you more of what He loves, making you more like Himself by the work of His Holy Spirit, and those may take place in very small things day to day. So if you like to draw and doodle during the sermon, draw some of those things. If you like to list things out, list things along, along that line. I'm going to ask all of you to stand for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 13. This comes to us in the context of the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus taught His first disciples to pray And the providence of the Holy Spirit given to us in Scripture here, He continues to teach us how to pray, not just in general, but like Himself, how to enter His life of prayer and devotion. Picking up in verse 7, Jesus said this, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Join me as we pray together. Heavenly Father, a day in your courts is better than a thousand spent elsewhere. We confess that we often would rather be sovereign over our own lives, kings and queens in our own smaller kingdoms. Your word holds out to us the good and holy truth that being a doorkeeper in your house is better than anything we would design for ourselves. You bestow honor and favor that we can't build or create for ourselves. You withhold no good thing from us as we follow Christ and walk with you. That does not mean that we don't encounter pain or brokenness. We follow Christ. He took on our pain, our brokenness, in order to redeem us. You are continually answering these things unraveling our pain, redeeming our brokenness with the grace of His cross and resurrection, with His promised return and the work of Your Spirit. And so we ask that You would let us submit ourselves to these things joyfully. Let us look eagerly for Your coming kingdom. All the while, would You grow our faith? Would You cultivate our love and deepen not just our understanding of prayer, but our practice of it? We ask these things in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. I don't normally outline my sermons. This sermon actually has an outline, but it's so imperceptible. I'll say it now, and you'll never follow it again. But in case you get lost, and you want some mile markers... These are the the headings I would put my own reflections under. And in the Lord's Prayer, we are continually confronted with the fact that first, salvation comes 
from outside of us. Second, that life and discipleship are not meant for us to live in a world that we would imagine, but the world as it truly is on its way to final redemption. Third, that in prayer like this, as Christ is leading us into intimate fellowship with Himself and the Father and the Spirit, God is addressing our sense that we are constantly overwhelmed and outmatched by our own needs and the needs of the world around us. Fourth and finally, He gives us indication that we should pray for these things. Prayerfully cry out for these things in the daily litany of our own need and our own rejoicing. I gave you that outline, and now I'll give you this disclaimer. You should always remember that Christ has never given you grace in outline. He doesn't give us summaries of redemption, snippets of mercy, That's why I normally don't outline my sermons. I don't think the structure fits our lives. He doesn't give you a schematic. He doesn't give you highlights of redemption to enjoy high points. Instead, He unites you to Himself. He gives you life with Himself, draws you into His own life, and continually gives us life together, apprenticed in daily discipleship, small steps that are cumulative, that stack up in faith and obedient practice that grows up more like His own life. Not that we're building it, but He is building it in us by the work of His Spirit. And so when we come to the Lord's Prayer, while the prayer itself breaks down into certain lines that are meant to trigger larger prayers, they don't just give a summary and an outline of thoughts you can think. There aren't points of interest that you should remember in some vague sense as this is what prayer is like. Instead, you're being drawn into Jesus' own life of prayer. He is inviting you to pray along with Him. Enjoy His fellowship with the Father. When you come to this line in the Lord's Prayer, we should always be caught up in the narrative of Jesus' own life, the things He suffered and prayed for us. You should hear echoes of the night that He's betrayed praying in the garden for us. Not my will, but yours be done. Where our good and sacrificial King is accomplishing all that's needed for His kingdom to come, but He's not bringing it in its fullness yet. Our restoration isn't made whole in that garden on that evening yet. He's betrayed He's arrested and he suffers and labors in prayer that's not easy, it's not sweet, doesn't have a cup of coffee sitting in his favorite chair early in the morning. He sweats drops of blood and he looks ahead in anguish for what submission to his Father's will will mean. It is good, but it's painful. Father in heaven, let your will be done, not my will but yours, even when this cup does not pass from me. Even if the suffering is to be mine, let your will be done on earth. He 
That's where I find us in this prayer, inside the narrative and life of Christ himself. Salvation and Savior coming from far outside of us, nothing that we designed or created for ourselves. And it's not the way we would have designed it. He's come far away from our imaginations and plans. What's best for humanity? What's best for you and what's best for me personally? What's best for you as a church is that your desires be rooted outside of yourself, anchored in something and someone better than you can imagine, design, script, or control. Though those are always our temptations. Like a savior, I can manage Like a savior with a manager I can speak to if his redemption starts to look somehow like I wouldn't prefer. It's unnerving to make my request to God and submit myself to his kingdom, to ask that his will be done, knowing his will may not look like mine on the front end. But we ask him not to bring my kingdom, not to bring your kingdom. We ask him to bring his kingdom. And in this, we have a divine invitation away from shallow devotion. A God or idol that we would craft for ourselves. Poor facsimiles of redemption that are more comfortable, like we would dream them up. Take a second and think about this question. How many of you have redemption working out exactly like you would have planned it? How many of you are fully enjoying every aspect of your sanctification? It is going according to plan. Discipleship is easy. Faith comes naturally. Doubt is never lurking around the corner. There are no struggles and there are no temptations. I know it doesn't feel like it in the moment when there is struggle, temptation, and doubt. But discipleship as you have it is far better this way. This is how God designed it. He doesn't play by your rules, and He has ordered your redemption according to His wisdom and not our own. But that means at times it's going to be painful. To borrow from C.S. Lewis, you never stub your toes on ideal or imagined furniture. It's reality that has hard edges. And the same is true of our redemption. Jesus invites us into prayer like this, and he carries us into real fellowship, real worship, real devotion, real formation with the one true God as he truly is. He meets with us in prayer and makes himself and his will known to us. This is one of the hallmarks. This is one of the ways you can tell true Christian devotion from cheap imitations. There's a divine wisdom in it that gives us prayer that shapes our desires and forms us to become what we are not yet. And that includes the growing pains. It's an invitation to see ourselves and our needs from God's perspective, His world as He sees it, not as stationary and fixed at one point in history, not static and unchanging, but growing in His grace to become the people 
that we are intended to be in Christ. This is where our needs and desires get reoriented, re-anchored in God's design. It's a prayer uttered like this every day. Hence, inside the prayers we pray for daily bread, that this kind of submission, this kind of longing, isn't something we do annually or on high holy days. This is a daily prayer. This is the daily exercise and stretching of our faith at God's invitation. Calling us back continually to God's design, His kingdom. His will to bear His own image in the redemption of Christ in us. Along the way, that means that we have to give up expecting the world to be remade on our terms. We're being formed to be more like Christ, both to live in the new heavens and new earth in our final redemption, but on the way to live in the world as it is. Take a minute and step out of this. I want you to think about your parenting if you have children. And if you don't have children of your own, but you have been someone's child before, I want you to remember what it's like to be parented. From time to time, my wife Kara and I talk about parenting and our goals in it in terms of what we want to prepare our children for. We anticipate that raising children for a world that's not right requires that we make a decision. We can try and manage all of their circumstances, try and manage every experience they have and curate their childhood so that life is easier. Or we can raise them for the world that exists and the God who calls them in discipleship to be more like Christ, to trust in Him, fail and need His redemption, and then enjoy it. It means that we expect they're going to get bumps and bruises, not just literal bumps and bruises. Their egos are going to take a hit. Their faith is going to be rocked at times. They are going to sin and need forgiveness. And if we're honest with them as we parent them, they're going to see us fail and need forgiveness, sometimes from them. We've said before that we cannot bubble wrap the world. We would rather our kids build up the calluses they need to navigate it. Our oldest son is learning to play guitar. Notice that several of you were, or a few of you were playing stringed instruments up here. We could pick something a little more tangible. If you're learning to play a string instrument, you have to build up calluses if you're going to play it well. You have to play the instrument as it exists so that you can enjoy the beauty that it, and the potential that it holds. But you have options to make it easier. You could just wear gloves all the time. You could get lighter strings. The music would be terrible, but your hands would remain uncalloused, unbruised, and comfortable. That's not what God has for us in our discipleship. That's not what He has for us as He invites us to pray that His kingdom would come and His will would be done in us. As He sends us out into a world where the kingdom is already accomplished, 
but not yet experienced. The same is true in our discipleship. The holy parenting that our Heavenly Father exercises and engages with us. He has promised to change the world. It is not finished yet. He's promised to bring a new heavens and new earth. They're not here yet fully and finally. He will put away sin and death and suffering and hell and the curse. But first, He is changing us. He's making us glimpses of His coming kingdom. Not perfect glimpses by any means, but He is making us bear the likeness and image of His Son. Remade like Christ, who in the incarnation did not enter a world free from thorns. And he didn't walk a wide circle around them to avoid them and stay comfortable. He entered a thorny world full of curse in order to become its redeemer. So for now, the world and your discipleship and the prayer you've been called into, it has hard edges. You cry out for the kingdom to come. That his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray this most sincerely, least abstractly, most vividly. And we pray it in the midst of suffering like Jesus did himself. In that suffering, when we find our fellowship with him, that he's not left us alone, but that he's already walked into and out of our tomb. means that we pray that His will would be done in the daily and mundane and also the messy and the difficult. It's not just that His will would be done out there in the earth, out there among the nations. I'm praying that His will would be done in your city, in your neighborhood. He's praying that, you're praying that His will would be carried out in your business. His will would be done not just around us, but in us and by us as we obediently trust and submit ourselves to it. Not what I want most in this moment, not my comfort above all else, but eternal good, perfect will being done by me in the moment. Oh Lord, let me persevere in what you've given me to do, set out in front of me, not because I am earning and building my own redemption, I am experiencing it as Christ carries me into my daily life, as the Holy Spirit transforms me and brings your cross and your resurrection to bear on me. I alluded to this a moment ago when I uh, borrowed from C.S. Lewis He goes on later in the same book, a reflection on prayer, a book called Letters to Malcolm. He says, the petition, your will be done then, is not merely that I may patiently suffer God's will, but also that I would vigorously do it. I'd add to that, and it's borne out later in Lewis's thought, That's even when it's not pleasant, that I would joyfully give myself, agreeing by faith that God Himself is good, entrust myself to Him, and then vigorously pursue His will by obeying it. 
seeing this as Christ's gift to me, not a burden He lays on me. Lewis goes on to say, I have to be an agent, not just a patient of God's will. I'm asking that I may be enabled to see it through, that I would be given the same mind which was also in Christ, and that, it would be, that His will would be done by me right now. I don't know what you normally think of as you pray that the Lord's will would be done. I will confess to you that I too often think, I'm praying, help those other people around me to do what you want. Help the world around me to conform to your will, and I assume that that means it will make me more comfortable. People will recognize how good I am. That's not what Jesus means. That's not how he prayed. That's not how he lived. Even as our Redeemer and the one who transforms us by the work of His Spirit, as we are being transformed, what He calls us toward and invites us to pray is that our will would be changed. As the Lord's will is done in the earth. That our desires would be reshaped and re-anchored. You are invited to make your needs known, your desires known. And Scripture repeatedly tells us to pray honestly and fervently for the things that we want. But along with that, we are supposed to learn that what we want is that God would grab hold of our hearts, that He would retune them, recalibrate and reorient them so that the things we desire and pursue are the things that He knows and has designed and called good. And all of that sounds kind of hyper-spiritual. All of that sounds like I'm asking you to detach from the things that you really want. So when and where does prayer like this belong? When and where are you supposed to pray like this? I want you to take a moment and reflect on this line in the Lord's Prayer, Your kingdom come... Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Take a moment and silently reflect on how enormous that request is. In making that request, you're asking for the fullness of redemption. You're pleading for not just part of the kingdom, but the entire kingdom to come. Take another moment and consider what it means to pray this in a world that bears no resemblance to that kingdom. How far off the world you're about to walk out into, how far off is that in your daily experience from the kingdom you are praying for? In your daily life, what do you see that's broken? What do you see that needs redemption so desperately? In your own prayers of the people, you are invited to pray for your community, 
and also national and global concerns for your local community of the church and the church at large. So as you think about those different stages, as you look around the world, global, historical, political stage, I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many of you start to feel lost and overwhelmed by it? There's so much wrong, you don't know where to start. Forget action, forget things that you might be called to address, even just praying. Where would your list start and would it ever end? And take a second and make that stage much, much smaller so we can recognize that even in the most intimate spaces, we're still out of our depth. Consider your own heart. Forget the global stage. Think about your own desires, your own life, your own relationships, work, marriage, children, parents, difficult friends, housemates. Don't look around the room because it'll be awkward. Think about difficult relationships in your church. Even there, on this much smaller stage, it's really easy to become overwhelmed. You can't fix everything that needs fixing in, this, in that sphere. What things in you need the kingdom of God to be borne out? Where do you need God's will to be done in your own life? with the fullness and the freedom of the joy that God's will is done in heaven. And your own thoughts, your own intentions. The ways that you love the wrong things or you give yourself too weakly to the right things. To borrow a more historic phrase, the wrong you do and the good you, left, you leave undone. Even there, we can start to feel overwhelmed. Even there, our need starts to mount up. There's so much to be done, so much to be addressed. Not just globally, but in my own heart and life. It would be easier to dismiss these things. There's so much, I won't get started. The invitation of the Lord's Prayer, the invitation of this line is that it is overwhelming to you. It is not overwhelming to God Himself. He is not out of His depth. He doesn't just want to redeem the world. He doesn't just mean to redeem the world. He is redeeming the world. He is redeeming you. Your redemption is accomplished finally in Christ Himself, in His incarnation, His crucifixion, His burial, His resurrection, and His promise to return. All of these things are being applied to you by the gift and the work of His Spirit. And in the world around you, in your own heart and life, in your family and your friendships, His Spirit is at work among His people. And one day He will return and bring the entirety of His kingdom in an instant. You're praying for all of those things at once. 
the invitation of this line is to pray that he would bring the whole kingdom and that also he would meet your daily needs. He moves you from praying for an entire kingdom all at once to praying for daily bread, forgiveness, the Lord's leading in daily tests and temptations. He doesn't lead you here in prayer to let you feel stuck and immobilized, even though it might have felt like I was doing that to you a minute ago. Your heart and life need changing. They need transformation that only comes from the work of the Holy Spirit who carried you into this prayer in the first place. Christ Himself meets you here and carries you through this prayer. This is how He prays. He's inviting you in as He intercedes for you. The Spirit here intercedes with groanings deeper than your own words so that you can begin to want to see God's will be done on earth, throughout the whole creation to be sure, but not only out in the world, not only out in human history, but in me, in us, in the body of Christ, in the places He scatters us through the week. Here you pray, Heavenly Father, let me interact with my own children, my own spouse, my own housemates, friends, co-workers. Let me interact with them, serve them with the grace and the strength, the love that you provide. Never let me lose sight that I am being served and loved with your love toward me shown, given in Christ. The entire prayer is enormous. One, this one line can feel overwhelmingly large in its scope. It belongs in the litany of your daily experience. Those things tragic and those things joyful and celebratory. Our Father in heaven, bring your kingdom and let your will be done on earth and in us with the freedom and joy as it already is in heaven. Amen. You join me as we pray together. Lord Jesus, you lead us into prayer, not just that looks like yours. You lead us into your own life of prayer. You lead us to join you as you intercede for us perpetually, as our living intercession, resurrected and ascended, seated at the right hand of the Father to whom we address our prayers by the Spirit's work. Now you draw us up together in that same intimacy and fellowship in your presence. As we get ready to eat and drink together, would you feed us on these covenantal signs and seals of your body broken, your life poured out. As we come to be fed, would you nourish our faith, grow and deepen our affection, our devotion. Would you fill up our rest and our joy in following you, being grown in the gospel to be more like yourself, resting on your finished work and seeing your work take root and flourish in us. Let us find greater rest and assurance, belonging in the forgiveness you've won for us, the adoption that's ours. We ask that you do these things for us. 
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.